morning. My name is Charlie Brown. Uh, we are we call this our church home. We come here whenever we can. Uh, we, as Christian said, we're primarily known as Michael's dad. Um, he, he is more well known, which is a switch, because our three of our kids grew up. Oh, you're Charlie and Carolyn's kid. Oh, okay, great. I just also want to add a special um, Father's Day greeting to all the dads. It's very special, guys. Um, what you do is extraordinarily important and impactful and powerful and all i can say is in the lord take it seriously and have fun with it um, but don't let anybody or any message minimize what you are to your kids and to your families also just want to give a special father's day greeting to our eldest son david this is his first father's day which is awesome so it's our first father's day as uh, my first father's day is a grandfather which is awesome so um, this is my son's son, so his last name is Brown, and since we were doing names, his name is Jackson Brown, which in Hebrew means pop star, and um, <laughs> it's true, look it up, look it up. There is precedence for that, so um, he's running on empty, it's all I can say. Um, we can, we can um, in all seriousness, we uh, really feel... I feel just the presence of the Lord during worship. That was amazing. That was just amazing. And um, I really felt prompted already just to give somebody a word of encouragement in the back. And I just feel like, man, I would start crying while I was giving it. I just feel like, whew. Like some, sometimes the Lord is just very thick in the room. And I feel like today we're just really blessed and honored to have today be one of those thick days. We are continuing the series on the prophetic and being a prophetic community. And um, just real quick, I don't see prophecy as a primary gift of mine, but I have been blessed. And as a matter of fact, I look back on our, Carolyn's and my journey together, prophecy has been probably the most important, if not one of the most important roles and gifts in our life in, in terms of setting the direction of our life. When we were seriously dating, a good friend of ours got this vision at a conference and told us, I see the Lord Jesus and he's holding Charlie's one hand and Carol on the other hand on your outside hands you have a sword and I'm like wow I think it's time to propose <laughs> I guess um, it was amazing and so from that and I know we're not supposed to do marriages but um, it happened and it was right and it was good it's been awesome um, going into ministry I was a pastor for almost 20 years I'm, I'm now an investment banker I know those things are like what it makes no sense um, going into the ministry and i was invited to come on staff at the church we're going to up in the bay area it was a pretty good sized church they're going to make me an elder in training and i said let me pray about it i felt the, the an urge to be in ministry and as i was praying about it i actually got like this vision of the lord peeling back the bible and then putting his finger in there again do not just open the bible to get direction i discourage it that's not typically the way it works it's the way it worked this time and i just opened up my bible and it was haggai one and it literally read my mail like you are, you know, you have a, a purse with holes in it because I've called you to build my house. And I'm like, clink, slammed up the Bible, like, whoop, I think I'm going to say yes to the invitation. The, um, it was a series of prophetic words to become the senior pastor of the church. The very short version of that, um, I was the youngest by many years. I was the elder in training. I was the kid. I was 26, becoming 27 years old. I had a degree in filmmaking. I have absolutely no formal training of any kind. Our senior pastor left abruptly. All of the elders actually formed the church out of a, a medical school. 
So our, the senior pastor ahead of me took the church from like 50 people to like 600 while going through med school. <laughs> kind of smart. The other elders were literally were brain surgeons and pharmacists and an attorney that's now a judge. And then there's me. And, and we were looking for a pastor, and this woman wrote me a, 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 a letter, and she quoted Joshua 1.9, Charlie, you're like Joshua. I'm like, maybe one day, clearly not now, because look at the other guys. They're amazing. They're all godly and really, really smart, and I'm none of those. And she said, nope, Joshua 1.9, this is for you. We met with the, um, the guy who... I guess it's okay to say names. Met, met with Chuck Smith, who was over our group of churches uh, down in Costa Mesa. Mesa. We met with Papa Chuck and said, Chuck, what should we do? We're, we don't know kind of what direction to take. And he said, well, you, just, you know, Moses is dead. Who's Joshua? I'm like, whoa, okay. And then he goes, I kind of want, that, that had my attention. And then he goes, but I want you to meet with Don up in the Bay Area. So we met with him and Don goes, well, clearly Moses is dead. Who's Joshua? I'm like, wow, it's really, it's the second time. And then I went back to and I tracked down my pastor that I met the Lord under his church a vineyard in Santa Barbara. And I found him. I literally pursued him. And I said, at a conference, I said, Jack, here's the deal. I know you have no time. I'm literally stopping you in the hallway. Here's the deal. We're looking for a pastor. Would you just pray for us as a group? He goes, yeah, let me pray for you. And he puts his hand on me. He goes, oh, there's the spirit of Joshua on you. I'm like, crap. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I have nothing these guys are all really brilliant, so I hear you, but maybe not now. We, um, Che On from Harvest Rock, his sister was part of our church, so Che would come and preach every once in a while, we, and Che was part of a different group at that time, and we drew from him quite a bit, and we met with him after one Sunday when he preached, and just the elders, we had an elders meeting, up then it was, back then it was just all guys, I remember sitting around this living room, and, I, and, and we said, Che, can we be part of your group, and you guys get us a pastor? Because we, we're dying on the vine. We just need help. And he goes, you got it backwards. Find your pastor, and he'll show you a group to be part of. We said, okay. And then he takes out a yellow pad, writes something down, and he goes to the, the first elder, who's really godly and really smart. What are your two primary spiritual gifts? And he goes, teaching and pastoring. And I go, perfect. I am so not qualified. I have an out because I am no way a pastor, and I can't teach, especially relative to these guys who are really, really smart. What's next guy? What are your two gifts? He goes, you know, worship and intercession. I go, I don't, I don't, I don't, neither of those. And, and they kept going around and pastoring and teaching kept coming up and kept coming up. And I was the last one. I am the kid. I'm an elder in training. I don't even have a real vote. I'm just there to hang around. And he goes, what are you two spiritual gifts? And I like with such glee that I was utterly not qualified. I said, well, I'm not a pastor or a teacher. My two gifts are faith and leadership. And Che said, well, I wrote down the two gifts that your senior pastor needs. Boom. Faith and leadership. I'm like, crap. <laughs> I walked out of that, the senior pastor of a church. With zero training. But five prophetic words. Sometimes the Lord gives us a word because it will open up and make life easy. Sometimes he gives us a word knowing that it's not going to be easy moving ahead, and you're going, to hear some, you're going to need to hear something five times to hold on to it. Repeatedly, our lives have been impacted by the gift of prophecy. Even going into finance, there was a guy um, that we used to go to, uh, we used to hang around with the church in Camarillo. They had this prophetic guy named Johnny Foote would come. Johnny was open vision guy. He was like crazy. 
And once or twice a year, we'd go there, he'd minister to us, he read our mail like he doesn't know us from anybody. And one time he said, oh, I see crazy zeros. Talking about your provision, I see I'm putting, uh, God's putting crazy zeros in front of your eyes. What I do as an investment banker is, I, and that's a big term, we, the, our role of our company, my, the firm that I work for, we raise money, not our own money. We don't make an investment from our firm. We go and have relationships with private equity groups and foreign countries and, and insurance companies and pension funds, and we raise money for growth companies. A growth company is not a startup. It's not um, an early stage. It's somebody who's already making $10 million in profit a year. They need $100 million to go to the next level. So crazy numbers being put before my eyes, like being involved in deals in the hundreds of millions. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So we have been a uh, benefit, we have benefited from words spoken, spoken into our life and being part of a prophetic community where God is free to speak and to encourage and to bring his word. Um, today, I'm actually going to talk about um, prophecy in the marketplace, the prophetic word in the marketplace. Something I think that is really important. And again, I'm actually going to get into a scripture, but just by way of context, and I'll be very quick about this. Um, a couple years ago, I, I started a, just a small group of people. Um, we called it Counter because we wanted to be, we wanted to encounter the Lord and be countercultural in the marketplace. And there were uh, investment advisors, another investment banker, and a guy who was named Russell that I'll tell you about later. And Russell actually has a, an MBA from Wharton. If you don't know what Wharton is, be impressed. He has an MBA from Wharton, um, the business school of University of Pennsylvania. He has an MBA from Wharton, a law degree, and he played football at USC. Wow. So we, all these guys, um, and then some women, it's kind of morphed, but we would just get together and ask, what does it mean to bring the kingdom of God to the marketplace? What does it mean to um, change culture? And we had sort of like a number of premises that we set out. And one of them was culture always wins. Corporate culture always determines the behavior of a corporation. Not the HR department or the legal department, but the culture of the leadership and the culture that the leadership sets. And you can go and look at, um, uh, I remember there's a show on Netflix called Bad Money. And I was looking at, at VW, I love VW, I have VW. It's one of my favorite cars I've ever had. I love VW. But crazy stuff that they just, were that whole odometer thing, and they didn't like being held accountable, so they just moved their headquarters to some tiny little European country that didn't hold them accountable. I'm like, come on, man, didn't somebody speak up? Culture always wins. The other is, one of my convictions is that business is always relational. Always relational. At the end of the day, it is always relational. And it is absolutely true. I was raised here in West Los Angeles, and I was raised in and around the entertainment industry, and all of my friends' parents were, like, what my best friend was, uh, best friend's dad was president of a major studio, like one of the top biggest studios. He's president. And it's very clear that it's not, you know, I'm going to say, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Well, that's true, and I do business development, primarily my role. And it is all about building relationships, 100% of the time. And guess what we have? The Holy Spirit. 
And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those are pretty good people skills. I think as we in the marketplace go about exhibit, um, exuding the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we have an advantage. Culture always wins. Business is always relational. There are others, but these are just, I'm trimming it down. Success, however defined, is the currency of the world. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. And if we are called to be influencers in our role, I believe we are called to a level of success. Not necessarily wealth, not necessarily, but just you do things well. It was said of Jesus that he did things well. And so as we prayed for each other, that God would show us favor so that we could do things well, so that we could have success, so that people would listen to us, so that we would have influence, so that we could change culture. That's the plan. And so a group of people have been gathering. Obviously, since COVID, we went on Zoom, which was actually, we lost a bunch of people. We also gathered a bunch of people. Now we have a guy in South Korea and somebody on the East Coast and somebody down in Costa Rica. And um, it's been quite a ride. Therefore, all that is preamble to get to the text, which I will actually get to a text. This idea of prophecy in the marketplace is near and dear to my heart. Something that I've been pursuing for quite a while with a group of people. So, if you have a phone, open it up to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to begin, this is a story of Elisha. Elisha was mentored by Elijah. He asked for a double portion of his ministry, and he got it. Really cool stuff. Um, begin in verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So here's a woman. Her husband's a prophet. He's in full-time ministry. He's doing his thing. He dies. She is left with the debt and no way to pay it. She, she um, has the two sons. It is not unusual in, in that um, ancient culture, in the ancient uh, Hebrew culture, that you go to debtor's prison. When you owed somebody, you couldn't pay it back. It's the most ridiculous thing. Like, why put them in jail? That reduces their ability to pay it back. But that's what they did. It is worse than that. The, he is going to take the sons not as workers. They're not going to work off the debt, but actually become permanent slaves. Not your sons are going to work it off. You, I'm going to own your sons. So here's this woman. Her husband just died. And someone's threatening to take away her boys. Utter ruin, utter despair that's come upon her. Brings me up to... to one observation, I just think this is pertinent for us to have this conversation. It's a big conversation, but I'm just going to throw it out there, and I'm going to move on. But here's the point. Being poor is very expensive. Isn't that ironic? Being poor is very expensive. You pay higher interest on everything. You can't fix a $500 car repair until it becomes a $2,000 car repair. You have many disadvantages when you don't have resources. It's very expensive to be poor. 
I just think we all need to understand that. The woman is now a widow, and she's going to pay a steeper price than somebody who had the resources. If she had the resources, she wouldn't lose her sons. But because she's poor, it gets worse. Just saying. So Elisha comes along and he asks her two very important questions. He asks her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? How can I help you? I think that can be rhetorical, like, well, how can I help you? Or, or like, well, how can I help you? But I think as a lot of questions in Scripture are asked of people, not for the benefit of the questioner, for, but for the benefit of the person who's answering, this is one of those questions. What do you want me to do? Do you remember when Jesus was at the pool of Bethesda, and there's a cripple, and the story goes that when an angel comes and puts a finger in the pool and it causes ripples, whoever sees the ripple first, whoever can get in the water, gets healed. This is a cripple hanging out next to the pool where there is a story that you first in gets healed, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do? It's obvious. Do you think Jesus needed, to, to for, for Jesus' sake, to find out what he wanted to do? No. Jesus didn't ask that question for Jesus' sake. He asked it for the guy's sake. Sometimes when we ask questions like, well, what do you want me to do? Or what do you want? It's like this. What do you really want? What do you really want? And I think there's that tone in what Elisha is asking the widow. But what do you really want? Then he asks her this other question. What do you got? What do you have? Isn't that a great question? But what do you have? He's asking for a very quick audit. Let me just say this to you guys. I don't know what you want. But coming to that point in your professional career, and I'm actually part of another group, and part of it is, is um, it, it's, it, we call it a, a process, prophecy, and prayer. And we pray for each other's business. It's awesome. But we write out what we want. We write out the gap that's missing. And we pray for each other. And in the same way, Elijah is asking this woman, what do you want? Do a quick audit. What do you have? Let me tell you what you have. When you were formed and fashioned in your mother's womb, you were given a lot. When you accepted the Lord, and the Holy Spirit came and, in, and infilled you, you were given even more. When the prophetic word comes and speaks life over you, you were given even more. You know what I call that? A serious advantage. It's an advantage in the marketplace that other people don't have. And you might say, but that's not fair. I go, that's the point. That is absolutely the point. The old expression, favor is not fair. Not asking for it to be fair, personally. So he says, what is it, uh, what do you want, what do you have? And I feel like anytime the Lord says to us, what do you want and what do you have, it's a setup. It's a setup that he's about to do something. Her response is, I got nothing. I got a small jar of olive oil, that's all, I got nothing. This is not a faith statement. This is someone who's overwhelmed with her plight. Someone, all she can see is the lack and the problem, there are no hope. My sons are about to be taken away, I got nothing. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. He says, 
Here's what he says to her. Let me put it in my world. He, she says, I got nothing. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go do a capital raise. What? I want you to, in, in this world, in terms of growth, when you start a company, you put in your own money. And then you go to your friends and family. That's called the friends and family round. And then after that, maybe there's an angel investor. And an angel investor is a high net worth individual who gives 25,000 here and 25,000 there and 25,000 there. They need one in 15 a hit and they're doing great. You go to the angel investor. And after the angel investor, you go to the venture capitalist. And after the venture capitalist, you come to me and I get you institutional money because you're already making $10 million and I'm gonna give you $100 million. That's the way it works. So he says to this woman, go to your friends and family and ask for help. Go do a capital raise. Go get investors. Wow. Go to investors? I don't even think I have anything. Yeah, but I'm going to do something, and you're going to need help. Just because the Lord tells us to do something doesn't mean that we are to do it alone. There is uh, one of the great books, not a Christian book, great books I found so inspiring. It's called Who Not How? by a guy named Dan Sullivan. Not a Christian book. It, 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 what I liked about it, it was really, um, this is the way I do things. I've never tried to figure anything out. I've just tried to figure, find the person who knows how to do it and bring them in. That's always been kind of my model. That's the point of the book, that as you scale your business, don't try to figure out everything. Bring in the people who already know it. You're giving them value, and you're getting value from them, and then you can scale it great, great book. And that's kind of what Elisha is saying to the woman. You, I'm, I'm, God's going to do something, but you can't do it on your own. You need other people around you. Go ask your friends and family for their jars and bring them here. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then all the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live off what is left. The spiritual principle is, she needed people around her. She needed a community to expand her capacity for the Lord's blessing. She needed other people to expand her capacity to hold the blessing that God was going to pour out. If they only said, hey, look, I fly solo. This is, I do this on my own. I'm not sharing nothing with nobody. Here's the little half jar that I have. I feel like the Lord would have filled up the other half jar. But he said, go out, get other people involved. And he has even a little caveat, not a few. Like, I'm about to do something big. Your ability to handle it is completely contingent upon the other people that you bring involved. They are going to expand your capacity for the blessing of God that's going to be poured out. And so they go and get it. I love that. I just think it's really interesting that the oil stopped when there are no more jars. 
I think of it both ways. What if they had gotten even more? What if they were more aggressive? What if they got 50% more jars? Scripture kind of indicates that the oil would have been poured out to fill up everything that she brought in, all of the capacity that she brought in. What if they just got, oh, two, we're kind of tired, we don't want to bug people, we got two more. Okay, I'll fill up two more. Just parenthetically, if you're in business, post-COVID, there is a term we use, pent-up demand, which means that investors and investor groups, and I gotta be careful because I'm licensed, I can't give advice. This is not advice, this is general spiritual principles. <laughs> so if my broker dealer ever hears this recording, this is not advice. Called pent-up demand. During COVID, they um, will call pencils up. They, they're not writing checks, they lifted up their pencils. So about a third did nothing, a third were much pickier, and a third maybe were very aggressive. In business, this might be the time to go get more money. Banks have more than they know what to do with. They don't make money by sitting on it. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just, maybe that's for somebody. I don't know. You need other people involved to increase your capacity. That's why we need a community. That's why we need a community of people. Does this sound familiar? Elisha works with a widow to expand her oil. Does that sound, did we hear this once before? Yes, we did. Elijah worked with a widow, and all she said, he said, what do you have? And she goes, all I have is flour and oil. It's the same thing. Remember, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's ministry in his, in his anointing. Elijah had, did eight miracles. Elisha, 16. In Elijah's version of this miracle, the Lord provided flour and oil until it rained again. And so the prophet was provided for, the widow was provided for, that was cool. This is a hundred times bigger. This is a this is hundred times bigger. Because what he says is, I know you're hurting and I know you want to win the lottery. I'm going to give you a business idea. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to do something for you to help you start a business to not only take care of now, but to take care of your family and your sons and actually have an impact on the community in the future going forward. If you think about this, he expands her oil. Oil is a dietary supplement. So people needed oil to cook with. It, it was used in, um, in the temple as a part of a religious offering. It was used as a, a medical, it was a pharmaceutical deal because they used it as medicine for their stomachs and balm to heal their wounds. It was an energy deal because it was used as oil for the lamps. It had a government contract to it because the, the Roman's guard would actually buy the oil to clean their swords. So it's like she had a military contract. And it was a beauty product deal because women would take the oil, mix it with other spices, and sell it. It's been said that, that one of these jars mixed with other spices would be the annual salary of a laborer. And that's what Elisha did. He said, you think that you don't have a market for what I'm going to do, but I am telling you, I'm going to do something, and it's going to change you and the community. 
One of the core elements of business is figuring out what's around the corner. One of the things that prophecy does is it helps us figure out what's around the corner. That's the advantage that we have when the Holy Spirit speaks to us about these things. And one time in our group, uh, I mentioned we had this group that we called Counter, Encounter Lord, Be Countercultural. Um, we used to meet in a um, conference room on the ninth floor of a high rise in Santa Monica. And we'd meet early in the morning, and I had my friend Jack come. And Jack, uh, Jack and I d are doing a couple deals together. He's also highly, highly, highly prophetic. He gets words of knowledge. He's awesome. He, he has that ministry in addition to his business, and he's a dear friend. I said, Jack, come and speak to our group. And he was actually living in Santa Barbara at the time. He drove down, and he came and he ministered to us. And at the end, there was just two guys, Roger and Russell. I told you about Russell. He's the NBA lawyer, USC football player. And Jack went up to, to Roger and just completely read his mail. Roger is crying like a baby, getting healed, getting blessed, getting filled with the Holy Spirit in a conference room on the ninth floor. Uh, and all these investment advisors are walking by. And he's like in the chair, laid back, crying like a baby. Jack goes to Russell and he goes, Russell, and he starts praying for him. And he says, I know this is crazy, but I see Ireland. And matter of fact, and he kind of points, Ireland, but like here. And Russell's like, what? He goes, I'm doing an international development deal. We have everything figured out except where to go. One is in, I don't know, like Kazakhstan or some random city. The other is Belfast. And where you pointed to right now is Belfast. Well, that answers that question. Guess where they're doing their development deal? Belfast. Right where there is political and religious conflict, they're doing a multifamily development to bring healing to the community. And it came and was confirmed through a prophetic word, through the Lord moving, through the Lord breathing on business to bring healing and to bring life and to bring legacy for many generations. I was... Um, I'll wrap it up. I just wanted one, one other thing about community. A rising tide floats all boats. Have you ever noticed, like I said, I don't think that the prophetic, I can operate in it. I do operate in it. Just recently, I was going for a walk. My friend Willie came to mind. I haven't talked to Willie in 10 years. I love Willie. He's a great, great guy. Um, not perfect, and he's the first to tell you how he's not perfect, and I love that about him. And I just said, you know, it's time Willie got remarried. It's time. So I haven't talked to him in 10 years, and I texted him, hey, man, are you getting married? And what came back were the emoji eyes, like, what? He's like, I just got engaged. And I go, well, I know we're not supposed to prophesy about marriage, but I said, I feel like the Lord's saying, you're ready. I don't know if she's the one, but you're ready. And he goes, you cannot tell, I cannot tell you how important that is to me to hear that. I, I've not talked to him in 10 years. But do you know that when you're around people like that, you're better? Am I, am I the only one? Like, I'm better in this community than I am most other places. I had the opportunity one time to go to England with a guy named John Wimber. He used to head up the Vineyard Movement. And I'm telling you, I was on fire. <laughs> you know why? 
not because of me. I was just around him. I was like getting words of knowledge. Like, I mean, it was crazy. It was amazing. Shortly after that, we actually uh, took over church in San Francisco, planted one about 30 miles south of that, and we had a conference. And imagine a church plant of like 40 people, and we are um, hosting, at the time, Vineyard Music. It's like, it's like having a church of 40 adults hosting Jesus Culture concert, very much. So we got the biggest church in the area. It was like at least 600 people. It was packed to the walls. Everybody didn't come because of our little church. They came because of the name, the brand that was doing it. And I don't remember who, um, who spoke. I spoke or one of the other guys spoke. I forget. But it was like Friday, Friday or Saturday night, one of, the, one of the big night sessions. The place is packed. People are just worshiping their hearts out. Faith is so high in the room. And I got up there, and I'm like, all right, this is it. This is it. I'm like, I got this. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to get this thing rolling. This is going to be awesome. And, and watch what happens. Come, Holy Spirit. Nothing. <laughs> Come, Lord. Nothing. Like crickets. Like, I got nothing. So I do. So next time some speaker is up here, you're at a conference, and they say this, we're just going to wait on the Lord. What he really means is, I got nothing right now. <laughs> so I did that about two or three times. We're just going to wait on the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're just gonna, well, a little bit more. We're just going to wait on the Lord. Can you feel that? And I'm just like dying on the inside. A worship leader from another church, a good friend named Bill, walks up to me. He just sees me dying on the vine. And I'm like, man, this was our coming out. This was like us establishing our church in this area. Hundreds of people are there. I was going to be the man. I was going to be the man, the prophetic man. Bill walks up. He goes, dude, you want me to take over? I go, I would love that. And I literally just slinked off the stage like, ooh, that was terrible. I don't know what happened. Bill got it going. It was a great night. Things were rolling. Ministry time was awesome. People healed, touched, blessed, filled. It was awesome. I'm driving home. Just me and the Lord. I'm like, so what happened? Where were you? Like, I thought this was like my coming out moment. Like, I was going to kill it. And I wanted to debrief. I wanted to know, like, here are the three things you did wrong. Great. Give me the checklist. Like, I understand these meetings after an event. I know how they go. Tell me what I did wrong. And the presence of the Lord just filled my little car. And he said, I'm so proud of you. All right. I guess we'll figure out the rest later. But it was, that happened in a sense of Bill rescuing me in the sense of the Lord showing up. When we are a community, a prophetic community, it's okay to try. Because when you try and you're wrong, I have firsthand experience of the Lord's view of you. He's so proud of you. He's so proud of you for stepping out. Because a lot of people don't have the chutzpah to do that. They have the wrong theology. Actually, they have fear justified by theology. I'm sorry, I just said that. They have fear justified by theology. Rather than having right theology and leaning into the fear. I just want to end by this. I feel like this is, you've heard this before. 
hear it like it's the first time you've ever heard this, okay? Especially if you're in business. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back from captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The Lord has a hope and a future for you. He has plans for you. Christian said, he said it before and he just said it before he brought us up. There are three elements to prophecy. Revelation, interpretation, and application. I'm going to add 3A. Timing. Timing. And the time between God giving the revelation and it being fulfilled is called faith. And it's called, to be honest with you, it's called pain sometimes. <laughs> and typically, because it's kind of painful and it disrupts our theology, we rush it and screw it up. Revelation, it's up to the Lord. Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, what do I do about it? Timing. Don't screw that one up. Just lean into it and let the Lord be the Lord. If you're in business and you need a breakthrough, I don't, I'm not saying a business owner, just business. Would you stand up? Well, you know what I'm going to say. We're just going to wait on the Lord. Because right now, I got nothing. So, Lord, I pray you would come in Jesus' name. That you would make us influencers of your kingdom in the marketplace. That you would empower us and equip us. That you would show us what's around the corner. Lord, knit us together as a community so that we can encourage each other and see what's in each other. That's the power of the prophetic word. The prophetic word says what Elijah says to her. It's because sometimes I don't know what I carry. And it takes someone else to say, when someone says, what do you got? And I go, I got nothing. They go, that's not true. Let me tell you what you got. So Lord, knit us together as a community who can speak words of life to each other. And for those of you standing right now who are standing on a word, you're standing on a word that you know is from the Lord and that hasn't come true. The Lord is so proud of you. He's your father who adores you. The fact that you're waiting for him and you're trusting in him makes his heart swell with pride over you because you don't want to screw it up and you don't want to go without him. There's some of you here today who have said to the Lord like Moses, like, I can't go alone. If I go, you got to go with me, which is what Moses said to the Lord. And some of you have said that. I feel like that's what your Heavenly Father wanted to hear. 
And we just declare, Lord, we'd rather go nowhere with you than go somewhere by ourselves. So I bless you now in Jesus' name with the love of your heavenly Father that cash flow problems would be broken in Jesus' name. That money would be, the money that you need to do what he's put in your heart would be released in Jesus' name. That favor would be released. That other prophetic words would be given to you. That dreams would come just like dreams were given to Joseph and to Daniel. That dreams would come and release, the, and release open doors. That words spoken to you would be released in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for grace for that in between the word and the fulfillment. I just pray for grace in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to say this again, Kenny. When I was walking, um, going for a walk, and the Lord brought to mind Kenny and Jenny, and I said, I forgot their names, but they're nine, that's the couple, their names, their names rhyme. And I got this word for Kenny, and I already gave it to him, that um, when he was younger, like he went to a school that had to do with a tree. And he said, oh, it was Woodhouse or Wood something. Oh, it's not exactly a tree, but I'll take it. Remember, prophecy is not one of my primary gifts. I'll take what I can get. It was Wood something, and I said that you've been, you sowed things when you were younger. And like an acorn, you're planting what you, has, you've sown, you've been faithful in the little. And some of that's coming to fruition now. That when you were little, seeds you sown are coming to fruition now. So I just bless you guys with that again. In Jesus' name, just let it come. Let it come, Lord. Hallelujah.